There are some things that are complex. There are other things that are complex and hard. Then there are those things that are complex, hard, and incomplete. The situation on the Korean peninsula is on par with complex, hard, and incomplete. The 27th of July, 1953. It was the signing of the Korean Armistice Agreement. That agreement was supposed to, and I air quote here, ensure a complete cessation of hostilities and all acts of armed force in Korea until a final peaceful settlement is achieved, and air quote. This ceasefire was supposed to tame the ongoing Korean War. This was a war fought between what is now North Korea and what is now South Korea from 1950 to 1953. In 1910, Imperial Japan had annexed Korea, where it ruled for 35 years until its surrender at the end of World War II on the 15th of August, 1945. The U.S. and the Soviet Union divided Korea along the 38th parallel into two zones of occupation. The USSR administered the northern zone and the Americans administered the southern zone. In 1948, as a result of Cold War tensions, the occupation zones became two sovereign states. A socialist state, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, was established in the north under the totalitarian communist leadership of King Il-sung, while a capitalist state, the Republic of Korea, was established in the south under the authoritarian autocratic leadership of Sungmin Ri. Here's the kicker. Both governments of the two Korean states claimed to be the sole legitimate government of all Korea and neither accepted the border as permanent. The signed armistice established the Korean demilitarized zone, the DM said, the de facto new border between the two nations, put into force as a ceasefire, and then finalized repatriation of prisoners of war. The DMZ runs close to the 38th parallel and has separated North and South Korea since this armistice agreement was signed in 1953. To add to that and to make it ever more complex, South Korea never itself signed that armistice agreement due to President Rhee's refusal to accept having failed to unify Korea by force. China, for its part, normalized relations and signed a peace treaty with South Korea in 1992. In 1994, China withdrew from the Military Armistice Commission, essentially leaving North Korea and the UN command as the only participants in the armistice agreement. The signed armistice established a complete cessation of all hostilities in Korea by all armed forces. That was to be enforced by commanders of both sides. The armistice is, however, only a ceasefire between military forces, rather than an agreement between governments to normalize their relations. So no formal peace treaty was signed and normalized relations were not restored a final peace settlement has never been achieved. Yes, a final peace settlement has never been achieved. That's right, a final peace settlement has never been achieved. Meaning, 
that the war is still on and we are looking at nothing more than a ceasefire for armistice since 1953. About a year later, at the 1954 Geneva Conference in Switzerland, Chinese Premier and Foreign Minister Chao Enai it suggested that a peace treaty should be implemented on the Korean Peninsula. However, U.S. Secretary of State at the time, John Foster Dulles, did not accommodate this attempt to achieve such treaty. In 1975, the UN General Assembly adopted resolutions endorsing the desirability of replacing this armistice agreement with a peace treaty. This was followed up by North Korean attempts to start peace discussions with the U.S., the U.S., however, believed influencing China to restrict North Korean actions would be more effective. In October 1996, the UN Security Council, by a statement of the President of the Security Council, i.e. Honduras at the time, urged that the armistice agreement should be fully observed until replaced by a new peace mechanism. Approving nations included the U.S. and the People's Republic of China, two of the armistice's signatories effectively refuting any suggestions that the armistice was no longer in force. North Korea has announced that it will no longer abide by the armistice at least six times, 1994, 1996, 2003, 2006, 2009, and 2013. On the 28th of April, 1994, North Korea announced that it would cease participating in the military Armistice Commission, but would continue the armistice. North Korea suggested that it regarded the U.S. deployment of Patriot missiles in South Korea as terminating the armistice. On the 3rd of September 1994, China joined Korea in withdrawing from and ceasing participation in the Military Armistice Commission. Why, you may ask? Because North Korea was its buffer state. Buffer state to the U.S., who was in South Korea, and who they would regard as occupying South Korea. In January 2002, U.S. President George W. Bush labeled North Korea as part of an axis of evil. Knowing that a fate worse than Iraq or Afghanistan could await it in the North, did what it knows would prevent such an attack on the North. So, in October 2006, North Korea conducted its first nuclear weapons test. Boom. In 2013, North Korea argued that the armistice was meant to be a transitional measure and that North Korea had made a number of proposals for replacing the armistice with a peace treaty, but the U.S. had not responded in a serious way. It further argued that the Military Armistice Commission and the NNSC had long been effectively dismantled, paralyzing the supervisory functions of the armistice. North Korea believes, still, that the annual U.S. and South Korean exercises, key resolve as they call it, and foral eagle as they also call it, are provocative and threaten North Korea with nuclear weapons. In March 2013, North Korea announced that it was scrapping all non-aggression pacts with South Korea. It also closed the border and closed the direct phone line between the two Koreas. North Korea further stated that it had the right to make a preemptive nuclear attack. In 2016, 
when North Korea proposed formal peace talks, the U.S. adjusted its position from the precondition that North Korea should have already taken, and I quote, irreversible steps towards denuclearization in order to even negotiate stances that included North Korea halting its nuclear program. Those discussions, needless to say, did not take place. On the 27th of April, 2018, the Pag Munjo Declaration for Peace, Prosperity and Unification on the Korean Peninsula, a mouthful, was signed by South Korean President Moon Jae-in and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, which commits the two countries to denuclearization and talks to bring a formal end to the conflict. The two leaders agreed to, later in the year, convert the Korean Armistice Agreement into a full-on peace treaty, formally ending the Korean War after then 65 years. The DPRK, i.e. North Korea, later called off talks with the South that was scheduled for the 16th of May, blaming U.S.-South Korean military activities and threw the planned 12th June summit into doubt, saying it might not attend if Washington continues to demand it unilaterally abandon its nuclear arsenal. The 2018 North Korea-United States summit was held in Singapore on the 12th of June at Capella Hotel. Despite these previous tensions, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un and U.S. President Donald Trump signed a joint declaration that declared the following. Number one, the United States and the DPRK commit to establish a U.S.-DPRK relations in accordance with the desire of the peoples of the two countries for peace and prosperity. Number two, the U.S. and the DPRK will join their efforts to build a lasting and stable peace on the Korean Peninsula. Number three, reaffirming the April 27, 2018 Panjumon Declaration, the DPRK, or the North, of course, commits to working towards the complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. And number four, the US and the DPRK commit to recovering prisons of war and remains of those who passed away. This joint statement also includes Trump's commitment to providing security guarantees to North Korea and that there will be follow-up negotiations. At the start of a three-day summit with South Korean President Moon Jae-in in Pyongyang, the pair's third meeting of 2018, North Korean leader Kim, Kim Jong-un stated that his meeting with Trump provided geopolitical stability and that he expects more progress in talks between his nation and Washington, D.C. Kim also credited Moon with making the historic USDPRK summit in Singapore possible. The third day of the Moon-Kim summit yielded a joint statement from the two leaders announcing an agreement to pursue a co-host bid for the 2032 Olympic Games. Furthermore, the joint statement announced that the two nations will now participate jointly at international competitions, including the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. In case you are wondering, the North ultimately did not attend the Tokyo Olympics at all because of COVID. Anyhow, because COVID came, the game changed as both Moon and Trump ultimately left office. But we still have the DMZ, or the DMZ, call it what you want. It's right there somewhere slap bang in the middle of the two Koreas. The zone incorporates territory on 
both sides of the ceasefire line as it existed at the end of the Korean War in 1953 and was created by pulling back the forces of both sides by about two kilometers on each side. It runs for about 150-odd miles, that's about 240 kilometers, across the peninsula from the mouth of the Han River on the west to a little south of the North Korean town of Kosong on the east. Located within the DMZ or DMZ is the Truce village of Honmanjon, about five miles east of Kesong. It was the site of the peace discussions during the Korean War and has since been the location of various conferences over issues involving North and South Korea plus their allies, the UN, etc., etc., etc. The areas north and south of the DMZ are heavily fortified and both sides maintain a large number of troops there. Both the north and the south of Korea maintain so-called peace villages in sight of each other's side's peace villages. In the 1980s, South Korean government built a 94.4-meter flagpole on their side of the village, which flies a South Korean flag weighing about 130 kg. In what some have called the flagpole war, the North Korean government responded by building a 160-meter flagpole on their side and it flies a 270-kg flag of North Korea. From 1953 until 2004, both sides broadcast audio propaganda across the DMZ. Massive loudspeakers mounted on several of the buildings delivered DPRK propaganda broadcasts directed towards the south, as well as propaganda radio broadcasts across the border. In 2004, both the North and the South agreed to end the broadcasts. Both South Korea and North Korea have held balloon propaganda leaflet campaigns since the end of the Korean War. In recent years, mainly South Korean non-governmental organizations have been involved in launching the balloons targeted at the DMZ and beyond. On the 23rd of April 2018, both North and South Korea officially cancelled their border propaganda broadcasts. The Civilian Line of Control, or Civilian Control Line, CCL, or CCZ, the Civilian Control Zone, is a line that designates an additional buffer zone to the DMZ within a distance of 5 to 20 kilometers from the southern limit line of the DMZ. Its purpose is to limit and control the entrance of civilians into the area in order to protect and maintain the security of military facilities and operations near the DMZ itself. The commander of the 8th U.S. Army ordered the creation of the CCL, and it was activated and first became effective in Feb of 1954. The buffer zone that falls south of the southern limit line is called the Civilian Control Zone. Barbed wire fences and manned military guard posts mark the Civilian Control Line. The Civilian Control Zone is necessary for the military to monitor civilian travel to tourist destinations close to the southern limit line of the DMZ. Most of this tourist and media Photos of the DMZ fence are actually photos of the CCL fence. The actual DMZ fence 
on the Southern Limit Line is completely off limits to everybody except soldiers, and it is illegal to take pictures of the DMZ fence. The CCL fence acts more as a deterrent for South Korean civilians from getting too close to the dangerous DMZ. The whole estuary of the Han River is deemed a neutral zone and is completely off limits to all civilian vessels and is treated like the rest of the DMZ. Indeed, only military vessels are allowed within this neutral zone. In other words, this zone doesn't have any or many humans. So what happens to the planet when humans vanish? Well, in the past half century, the Korean DMZ has been a deadly place for humans, which is great for non-humans. It makes human habitation impossible. But this natural isolation along its 240-odd kilometers length, it creates an involuntary park which is actually now recognized as one of the most well-preserved areas of temperate habitat in the world. In 1966, it was first proposed that DMZ be turned into a national park permanently, with no humans. Several endangered animals and plant species now exist among this heavily fortified area. It has landmines and it has listening posts, but it doesn't have people. These include the endangered red-crowned crane, the white-naped crane, critically endangered Korean fox, and Asiatic black bear, and potentially the extremely rare Siberian tiger, the Amor leopard, and the endangered marine species such as western grey whale. Ecologists have identified some 3,000 plant species, 70 types of mammals, and 320 birds within this narrow buffer zone. The DMZ owes its varied biodiversity to its geography, which crosses mountains, prairies, swamps, lakes, and tidal marshes. Environmentalists hope that DMZ will be conserved as a wildlife refuge with a well-developed set of objectives and management plans vetted and in place. On the 1st of November 2018, buffer zones were established across the DMZ by the North Korean and South Korean militaries. It's, this was in compliance with the Comprehensive Military Agreement, which was signed at the 2018 September Inter-Korean Inter Summit. The buffer zone helps ensure that both North and South Korea will effectively ban hostility on land, air, and sea. Both the Koreas are prohibited from conducting live-fire artillery drills and regiment-level field maneuvering exercises by those bigger units within five kilometers of this military demarcation line, also known as the NL. No-fly zones have also been established along the DMZ to ban the operation of drones, helicopters, other aircraft up to an area of about 40 kilometers. On the 22nd of November 2018, the North and the South completed construction to connect a three-kilometer road along the DMZ that's about 90 kilometers northeast of Seoul. This road, which crosses the Korean MDL land border, consists of about 1.7 kilometers in South Korea, 1.3 kilometers in North Korea. On the 12th of December 2018, militaries from both Koreas crossed the DMZ's MDL into the opposition countries for the first time in history 
to inspect and verify the removal of so-called frontline guard posts. On the 30th of June, 2019, U.S. President Donald Trump became the first sitting U.S. president to enter North Korea, doing so at the DMZ line. After crossing into North Korea, Trump and North Korean Chairman Kim Jong-un met and shook hands. Kim stated in Korean that it's good to see you again. I never expected to meet you at this place, and you are the first U.S. president to cross the border. Both of them then briefly crossed the borderline before crossing back into South Korea. On the South Korean side of the DM said, Kim, South Korean President Moon Jae-in and Trump held a brief chat before holding an hour-long meeting at the DMZ's Inter-Korean House of Freedom. So that's the DMZ and the background to this complex, hard, incomplete problem. So what could be a solution to this standoff? Well, we have seen from the reunification of Germany that three things are true. One, that reintegration is not impossible but very difficult. And it is particularly difficult at the social and economic levels. Already in South Korea, there is a touch of mistrust towards the people of the North, even a small form of xenophobia. And then there's the question that would be on the mouth of many South Koreans. Would the wealthier South be willing to prop up those in the North post-unification? And over in the North, years of drip that negative propaganda won't just wash away overnight. My second point is very important. If you look at the unification of Germany as a comparison, the move eastwards of U.S. military bases from the old West Germany to East Germany all the way to the Baltic states, well, the chances are that the same will happen here. It would be unlikely that the U.S. pulls its troops out right away, and it would be more likely that the U.S. stays put. What that does in turn is take the U.S. to the border with China and Russia. This would be a major escalation for both the Chinese and Russians. Right now, North Korea is a buffer state for Russia and China, mainly China, from the U.S., who technically run the South. The opposite would also be true. So if after unification, the Chinese military ended up in the South, the U.S. would lose a buffer to its possessions in Japan. This is not so easy, is it? My suggestion would be to continue the three-way Trump-Moon-Kim type dialogue that was taking place before COVID-19 making small and steady concessions. But not with the aim of unification. I think reunification is a bad idea. So the border stays. I do think that sanctions harm the population of North Korea, but that as horrid as it, as horrid as it is, is probably better than a US-China-Russia confrontation in the two Koreas. So I think we start with a small talk, begin that was begun by Trump, Moon, and Kim. And it does include the U.S., North, and South Koreas. That includes confidence-building measures. The U.S. is important because it is still at war with the North, and as far as the North is concerned, it's occupying Southern Korea. Of course, 
North and South Korea need to be involved. But so does Russia and China. You see, without China, there is no resolution, mainly because of what I just mentioned. It's a buffer state. And any resolution would mean the U.S. pulling out completely, leaving the Koreas as a buffer state, i.e. a neutral state between the U.S., i.e. Japan, and China-Russia. In all honesty, given the general animosity in the region, even a fully independent Japan would need or want a neutral Korea. These confidence-building measures, or whatever the confidence-building measures that they come up with, would need to be developed and would ultimately need to last several years before anything could be really implemented properly on the ground. All that said, if I was the leader of North Korea, I would not want to give up my nukes. It is probably the only thing preventing any of the big powers from meddling in my internal affairs. Now, I'm being realistic and I'm being pragmatic. However, it will require some serious trust between the non-Korean parties, i.e. China, Russia, the US, and that to me isn't all that forthcoming as of the posting of this particular podcast. So I propose slow and steady measures that include the US, Russia, and China because without them, there really isn't a solution. All right. Thank you again for taking the time out to listen to this episode. Hope to connect with you all soon. Thank you very much. Thank you.